Welcome to CCC. Uh, if you're new here, if you're visiting, I want to say a special welcome to you. I'm so glad that you're here so that I'm not the only new guy because uh, I'm very new. I've been here just since July. Uh, I came here to be the uh, children's ministry program director, so a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. That's what I thought that I was going to do. Uh, but God had a different plan. Uh, God took our next-gen pastor to another church and opened up that position. And so last week, uh, we voted and decided that I would be the next-gen pastor. So I'm really excited uh, to do that. But that means that my position, that program director position, is open. And so if you're looking to join the team, if you love children, uh, if you want to be the primary procurer of Play-Doh, uh, if you want to be the lead Lego liaison, uh, if you want to be the concierge of cutting construction paper, that job is open. And so uh, come and talk to me or bring your resume to the church. We would love to have you join the team or if you know somebody. Uh, so whenever I talk about next-gen, uh, eyebrows come together and people go, what is that? A lot of people don't know what next gen is. A lot of people have a hard time uh, spelling it or pronouncing it. And so I wanted to spend some time today talking about what is next gen ministry. And so I brought one of my favorite things. This is my hourglass. Now, actually, it's my 15 minute glass. And so if we turn it over twice, we might get out of here in time for lunch today. Uh, but it's just a reminder. It's just a reminder that time is always moving forward. You know, just like gravity pulls sand through the hourglass, so time is always propelling us into the future. We're always living in this moment, but this moment is immediately going to become the past. And so we're actually living in the future that's coming towards us constantly. You know, and I think everybody wants to do something significant. It's just kind of written into our DNA. God put it into our hearts that we want to do something big. We want to impact the world. We want to change the world that we live in. And so if we want to change the world that we live in, we have to change the future because we're going to be living in the future in just a moment. And so that's why I work with young people. I think one of the greatest opportunities we have to impact the world for Christ and for the kingdom of God is to invest in the lives of young people because young people are going to be old people before we even know it. They're growing up constantly. And I think everybody wants to do something that's going to last beyond their life. You know, I had a good friend, J.B. Ralston was his name. He was from Texas and he was just a real honest kind of guy. And uh, one day he pulled me aside and he said, Tony, you know why I invest in young people? I said, no, JB, why? I learned not to answer JB, just to say, why don't you just tell me? Because he wanted to tell me. And he said, you know, when I die and they lay me out in that funeral home, I don't want them to have to pay people to cry for me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I had, uh, I had the, the privilege, I had the honor of uh, being a part of JB's funeral. And I can tell you that was a packed house full of young people that, that were impacted by his life. And they didn't have to pay anybody to cry for JB. You know, and I think we all want to have that impact in the world. You know, if we're here and we're Christians, if we're Christ followers, we believe that the message of Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. You know, God came down in the form of a man and lived here on earth with us. And he, and he taught us how to live. And he died for our sins and he rose again. I mean, that message is huge. And so if we can invest that message into the lives of young people at an early age, we can impact the world. We can impact the future uh, in a way that we can't even imagine. We can have an impact that's bigger than us, bigger than ourselves, bigger than our lives, and that will outlast us. So I hope you're in. You're excited. We're going to invest in the lives of young people. Well, how do we do it? How do we invest in the lives of young people? How do we change the world? Uh, I want to see maybe just a show of hands, audience participation. Who here remembers the D.A.R.E. program? D.A.R.E. Anybody went to D.A.R.E.? Yeah, I went to D.A.R.E. Yeah. Uh, if you go back into the children's wing and say, who's in D.A.R.E.? Uh, not many of them raise their hands. Uh, D.A.R.E. was a drug abuse resistance education program. Uh, and we don't do it anymore because it was ineffective. 
the plan was to take police officers, bring them into the classrooms, and have them teach children about drugs and why they shouldn't do them. And studies on the back end showed that it wasn't effective in preventing drug use, and in a lot of cases, it actually increased drug use. Uh, because they would lay out, like, this drug will stop your heart and kill you. Uh, this drug is going to make your teeth fall out. This drug will only get you arrested if you get caught. And kids would think, I think I want to do that drug. I mean, that doesn't sound that bad compared to all the other options. Uh, but the main reason that, drug, that D.A.R.E. was ineffective was that it cut parents out of the program. Parent involvement in D.A.R.E. really wasn't a part of the plan. And if we're realistic, if we're honest, we understand that the greatest voice in the life of a child, the greatest impact, the greatest influence is, of course, parents. And there are a variety of different programs that we've tried uh, over the years. You know, True Love Waits was huge in the late 90s and early 2000s, and it's waned uh, in its implementation because when parents aren't involved in talks about purity, uh, they don't have an effect. You know, statistically, it's really the parents that have the greatest influence. We understand that idea, but I, I brought an illustration about parents. So I have two sticks. Uh, this stick uh, is my dad's, uh, and this one is mine. Uh, my dad, Mark Schaefer, was a staff sergeant in the Army. He was a helicopter mechanic. And so for a while, we were stationed in Germany. And in Germany, there's this tradition, there's this thing. It's kind of for tourists, but it's also for Germans. It's called the Volksmarsch. It's the People's March. And basically, it's, a, it's an organized walk. It's kind of like a hike, but it's not really very woodsy. Maybe it's a little woodsy, but it's kind of through the old towns. And everybody you know, gets up on a Saturday, and they get dressed in their goofy hat with pins and their walking sticks, and they go walk through the woods. Uh, and of course, I didn't have a choice. My dad would take me in the car, and I had to follow him or I would be lost. And so I remember my little legs running as fast as they could, and my little stick. And you know, one of the cool things about a Volksmarch is that they usually have these little shields. I don't know if you can see them, but they're from all the different places that we did our Volksmarches. That top one is from Hanau. That's where we lived. Uh, and then all of these are the different places that, that he went. He didn't take me on all of his trips. I mean, he was actually stationed in Germany twice, so some of these were pre-me. Um, but you know what? My dad never sat me down and talked to me about the benefits of walking. You know, he didn't, he didn't preach to me, son, you know, when you get up and you walk, your heart moves and you know, the, your lungs open and close and it brings oxygen to your brain and it's good for you. And being out in the woods and seeing the trees and seeing the scenery, it's good for your soul and it's good for your mind. He never did that. He just said, come on. And I followed him. And now I don't use these walking sticks because they're goofy looking, uh, but I still love to walk. I still love to hike. And so, you know, I have my camelback full of water and my son has his that matches mine. And so, you know, oftentimes what is caught is more powerful than what is taught. And so if we want to influence children, if we can influence and support the faith of their parents, we can make an influence on the next generation. If we can teach spiritual disciplines to parents, if we can invest in parents, if we can create a church that is healthy and welcoming to parents, to adults, we can influence the next generation because their faith is often caught. And this is my encouragement to parents. Parents, whether or not you like it, your faith is going to be transferred to your children for good or for ill. And so that may make you want to go home and read your Bible a little bit more. That may, may want to make you, you know, increase your attendance in church because they're going to do what you do so much more then they're going to do what you say. It's not just that I'm making this up. There's also, you know, a scriptural basis for this. There's this passage in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Deuteronomy 6. If you want to look it up on your phone, you can as well. Uh, but the backstory to Deuteronomy 6, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. 
Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. They traveled around in the desert. In that time, God gave them the book of the law. And they're about to go into the promised land. And so Moses calls everybody together. He says, listen, things are about to change. You know, in some ways it can be easier to follow God in the wilderness because you don't have anything and you're counting on him for your daily bread and you're really trusting in him. But we're about to go into the land of milk and honey. And there's going to be a real temptation that you're going to think that you did all these things by yourself. And it's going to be a real temptation that you're going to drift away from your faith and you're going to begin to follow after these other gods. And so it's very, very important that you remember the law. And so Moses read out, you know, the book of the law. And finally, he got to this part in Deuteronomy, if I can find it in my Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he kind of gives them the conclusion. He gives them like the, the central focal point of the law. And it's just this. He says to everybody, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the most important thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. When, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said this. Every Jewish boy and girl knew that this was the greatest commandment. And why did every Jewish boy and girl know that this was the greatest commandment? Because the second half of it is, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This is so important to remember God. And it's so important that we impress it upon our children. And the best way to impress them upon our children is to create a rhythm. When you walk along the way, when you rise up, when you lie down, all throughout your day. If it's only once on Sunday, it's not impactful. I brought this really big stack of books. I don't know if I can carry them all, but I wanted to show you my books. These are from Grolier Publishing. Grolier was a, uh, an encyclopedia producer, and uh, they were sold off to Scholastic, and they don't really produce encyclopedias like they used to. Uh, but in addition to their encyclopedias, they had several different book of the month clubs. I don't know if anybody, have you ever, anybody here been in a book of the month club? You know, you sign up for it, and little by little, you know, once a month, these books would come. And I remember opening up, you know, the kind of cardboard envelope deal that these came in. And I remember my mom would read these to me every night. Without fail, every night she would read these stories to me. And, and you know, my mom didn't come from a Christian home. She actually was saved uh, after I was born. When I was, you know, a little boy, she came to faith. And, you know, it's only with time later on that I realized that as she was reading these stories to me, she was reading them for the first time. She was learning them. You know, parents in the room, if you you know, didn't come to faith until later in life. Maybe if you don't feel like you know all the answers, that's okay. You can learn alongside your children. And the best way to do that is to start a rhythm. Have some moments in your life where you remember God. I want to give you a really, really easy one. It almost seems like a no-brainer. Grace. You know, I think we've gotten away from the tradition of saying grace. And I'm not saying that you're a bad Christian if you don't say grace. But what I am saying is that if you do say grace, it's a reminder throughout the day to thank God for the things that you had. You know, when I started off in ministry, my, my wife and I had uh, this season where I was a part-time pastor, uh, and then I was, you know, working part-time in a bookstore, and, you know, we were really struggling to make ends meet, and we lived in the hood, and, you know, there were moments where, you know, we would put dinner on the table, and it was hard to say grace. I mean, it's hard to say, God, thank you for this leaky roof, and thank you for, you know, this plate of noodles. But having that discipline in our lives reminded us that our help always comes from God. 
and that we should be thankful in all seasons because it's not by our own strength, you know, it's not by our own will, kind of like Moses with the Israelites. It's not our work that provides for us. We work for the Lord and he provides for us. And whatever he provides for us, we can be thankful. Now, if I would have waited until we got there to start being thankful, it would have been too late. Spiritual disciplines in your life, they can affect your faith. And the rhythms of your life affect the faith of children, of the children that are in your house. So I've kind of hammered a lot on parents. Time is moving forward all the time. Kids are going to pick up what you learn. Creating a rhythm in your life can help. But you know, I don't know if anybody is doing a book of the month club anymore. Uh, I know Grolier Publishing doesn't do it anymore. Uh, I don't know of anybody who's involved in that kind of thing. But I do know today what people have is smartphones. And so I want to encourage you, especially if you're a parent, if you have your smartphone, uh, pull it out. We're actually going to use it. I want to show you one of my favorite things in the whole world. And this has actually helped me as a parent. You know, I'm a pastor and I teach people, uh, but also I'm a parent. And I have, you know, an eight-year-old and a two-year-old, and I'm trying to raise them to be good Christians. And there's a whole stereotype around pastor's kids, so I'm a little concerned. Uh, and so... My favorite app in the whole world, and it helps me so much, is this little app called the Parent Q. Parent Q, P-A-R-E-N-T, like a parent, and Q, like C-U-E. That's, um, that's like a stage term. And the reason it's called the Parent Q, and I'm encouraging you, if you could find it, download it. It's free. It's not going to spam you or anything crazy like that. And I don't like they're not paying me to tell you to download it. Uh, but the Parent Q, it comes from this idea that I believe every parent wants to be a better parent. Every parent wants to be a better parent. And every Christian parent wants to be the spiritual leader. You know, if you have a faith of your own, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you're saved, you want that for your children. But sometimes parents just need a cue. They just need to say, do it now. This is what you do. They're ready to go, but parents sometimes just need a cue. And this parent cue app is really, really simple. Uh, you plug in a little bit of information about your child. Uh, and so I chose to put Ben's picture in there. You don't have to put their picture in there. You don't sell it or anything. Um, and I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little circle that goes around, and it reminds me of how many weeks he has left until he graduates. And I'm going to tell you, when it passed the quarter mark, man, it made a change. He's, he's halfway to halfway to being out of my house. This kid is growing up. I mean, if, if that's all you get out of the Parent Q app, that's a reminder that you have limited time to invest in the life of your child. But as you scroll it up, each week it has a little video. It's like a five to ten minute Bible story video for the week. It's like these. You know, it's not a big book. It's a really short story. Uh, but if all you do is watch a five-minute video every week with your child, you're going to make a world of difference in their life. Just taking faith out of the church into your real life is going to make a huge difference. And then as you slide up on it, it has a verse for the month. Uh, you know, some kids are studious, and they're going to memorize like a verse a week or a verse a day. Um, but for me, man, a verse a month was like was really pushing it. And I know for my son, a verse a month is like pretty good if he can get that. Uh, but if all you do is read one verse a month and encourage your child to do that, um, and then there's an application, an activity, and a reminder for parents about the stage that they're in. And all of these things change every week. And so every week they turn over. And so it's you know not like you're going to sit down with this app and say, let me like put this on your head, and it's going to like download all the information into your child, uh, and they're going to be perfect. It doesn't work like that. It's little by little creating a rhythm. So that's my gift to you, a tool. Oh, and by the way, the verses that are in here line up with the curriculum that we use here on Wednesdays. And so your child will be hearing it here at church and also hearing it at home. And so if you have a child, I really encourage you to use it. If you don't have children, you can tell them, I heard about this thing. You should try this parent cue. It's totally free. It's the greatest thing ever. Uh, I don't know if you want to do a book of the month club, if you can find one and that fits your rhythm, you know, God bless you for doing that. 
Uh, if you read maybe from a devotional, my son has a Jesus calling for kids, and that was helpful, you know, going through day by day. But whatever it is in your life that works to create a regular rhythm to influence the next generation, to influence your children, and even really honestly, oftentimes to influence yourself is going to make an influence, is going to make a change in the faith of children. So we talked a lot about parents, we talked about influencing parents, but some of you in this room, the few, the proud, the brave, are going to take the next step. And that's investing directly in the lives of children. This is uh, a book that is near and dear to my heart. It's called The Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Uh, it's exhaustive because it's so heavy. See, that's a funny joke. Y'all should laugh at that. <laughs> the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It's, it's big and heavy, but basically if you, if you know what this book is, then you're a nerd and you're one of my people, so it's great. Uh, but if you don't know what it is, it's an exhaustive concordance. It has every word in the entire Bible laid out, and then it correlates that word to the original Hebrew or Greek. So you can look up the original Hebrew or Greek word, and then you can understand the translation. You can understand the nuances of every verse. If you didn't know, uh, King James didn't write the Bible. It wasn't written in English. It was you know, written in a variety of different languages, but the earliest manuscripts we have are Hebrew for the Old Testament, and Greek for the New Testament. So that's as close as we can get to the very original translation. And so uh, why is this book near and dear to my heart? When I was about 14, I had a small group leader named Aaron Harrison. And Aaron Harrison had this ragtag group of young boys. And God bless him, looking back, we gave him a lot of trouble. Um, but he put up with us. And one of the things that he really wanted from us is he wanted us to step up into leadership. And so as a 14-year-old guy, he gave me this book and he said, Tony, here's your verse. Go home and read this verse, and I want you to look up every one of these words, and next week you come back and you tell us what the Hebrew means for this particular verse. And man, I just thought like, I thought he had like given me Excalibur, like he had like laid the authority upon me. I was like, oh man, this is such a responsibility. Like the Spirit of God is going to come upon me, and I'm going to teach, and it's going to be like life-changing. And I started opening the book. It's very hard. It's very hard to read all those words, and they're in very small type, and it was a lot of work. But you know what? I, I look back I don't think that my dad could have done that for me. I think if my dad would have given me that book, I would have said, oh, thanks. You know, that's kind of weird. That's something old people do. I really don't want that. You know, if my mom would have given that to me, I would have said, mom, you already know how much homework I have. You're constantly yelling at me for it. Why are you giving me more homework? You know, I don't think that my mom or dad could have done that. You know, the parent's voice is the greatest voice in the life of a child, but it's not the only voice that they need. They need other people in the church to come around them. You know, especially in those gap years, when you think about kids, they hang out with mom and dad that are 20 plus years older than them. They hang out with maybe grandma and grandpa, but that generation just a little bit older than them, that 10 year older generation, a lot of times they miss that generation. And so as a young guy, you know, I wanted to grow up and be a college student. And so Aaron Harrison was a college student and everything he did, I thought was the coolest. And so I got to watch Aaron, how he dated his then uh, girlfriend, who was eventually going to become his wife. You know, my mom and dad could have told me about dating, uh, and they did, and I took a lot of their advice. But really, I watched Aaron's example, and I thought, man, he got Carrie to marry him. I think I want to do that. That's how, that's how you do it. And so, you know, we as a church need to come around multi-generational relationships. That's, that's the big word there. Um, but that means that you do need to influence parents, but we also need to have opportunities to have contact with kids. Uh, it's not just my opinion, it's also Paul's opinion. If you know in Scripture, uh, Paul, the apostle, he was Saul, and he hated the church, and he went about arresting Christians, and then he met Jesus, and his life changed, and he even changed his name to Paul, and he began planting churches. He would go from place to place, he would share the gospel, and he would set up a church, and a lot of times he would leave someone there, a young guy, to be a pastor. And it's hard 
being a young pastor. You know, today I sat at a table uh, and I was the youngest person at the table. And all of these people were praying for me to come and preach. And I was thinking, I'm supposed to tell these people something. And they're like twice my age. And they've been a Christian twice as long as me. And, I, you know, I've been hanging out with you guys. And a lot of you are a lot smarter than me. And so it's really hard as a young guy to, you know, think that I have something to say to you. And so Paul writes this letter to this young pastor named Titus. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Titus. Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to look. And it's a pretty short passage, but it just illustrates what I was talking about. Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Let's see, it's up there on the screen as well. It says, Teach the older men that older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine, but they're to teach what is good, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. I, I love how that finishes. Like, young men, if you can just control yourselves, we're going to be okay. We, we have a lot of things to ask for the rest of them, but young men, if you can just chill out. But if you notice there, everybody has a task as it relates to the younger generation. I like that idea of older men and older women. I have a two-year-old at home, and she is older than a one-year-old. You know, if you've been alive more than a day, there's somebody younger than you that you should be investing in, that you should be teaching, that you should be living as an example for. All these things happen in the home, but they also happen within the church. There's somebody following behind you, and they're following your example. There's somebody that's being affected by the rhythms in your life. And all of us have an obligation to reach down to the younger generations and invest in them. And if you notice that it's older women invest in younger women so that they'll invest in their families and their children, we have an opportunity as the church, as the body of Christ here in the world, to influence the next generation like no one else can. Like no one else can. And so I've told you about Moses. I told you about Paul. Uh, but probably the best example is Jesus. I think we can probably all agree on that. And so... If you have your Bibles, open to Luke 18. Luke 18, it's 18 chapters into Luke. And if you know the story of Jesus, Jesus was born in a manger as a nobody. He had like five followers, three wise men and two shepherds. There weren't very many. It wasn't a big deal when he was born. And as he grew, really wasn't that famous. And then he turned water into wine and he started getting some notoriety and he started to teach and preach and people came around him and then he started to heal the sick and that was really a big deal. And then he fed a lot of people and that, I mean, at that time, food was hard to come by. And so by the time we get into Luke 18, Jesus is a really, really big deal. And you know that he's a big deal because people are bringing their children to him. If I can just bring my child to you, I don't know uh, if you've ever experienced the audacity of a parent. Parents will do anything for their kids. And that's what's happening here. You know, the verse Luke 18 and verse 16, it says they were even bringing their children to him. They were even bringing their children to him, even their infants to him. But the apostles came together and they said, no, like, don't, don't bother him. Leave him alone. And Jesus saw what was happening, and it says, But Jesus said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He goes on and says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. As a church and as individuals, what are we willing to do to bring children to Jesus? 
is what we're doing standing in their way? Or is what we're doing helping to bring children to Jesus? I'm not saying that everybody here has what it takes to be a small group leader. But everybody here has what it takes to pray for the church. Everybody here can be friendly. I don't know if you've ever been a young parent. Uh, some of you, this is preparation because it's coming. Some of you, you can remember back, but it's tough. You know, it's tough getting all the kids together and getting their nose wiped and getting the clothes on them and getting them here to church. And sometimes they like yell and scream and sometimes they throw things all around. You know, everybody here has the ability to just smile and be friendly and say hello and how are you doing? You know, it's tough being a young parent. It's tough to make friends. Kids take up a lot of your time. You know, and it takes a lot of effort to reach out to young families, to reach out to people who are, you know, new to this whole parenting thing and step into their life and just be their friend. That it takes a lot. It takes effort. It takes putting up with those kids that are around them all the time. You know, for, for some of us here, maybe it's just holding the door. You know, it's joining Christine in guest services and, and being behind the Connection Center. You know, for some of you, I want to say thank you. When my daughter comes in the church building, she starts running as quick as she can for the donuts, yelling and screaming the whole way. And you guys who work behind there, you are so full of grace, and she always gets a donut with a great big smile. And listen, she's two, and she knows the name of Jesus, and that's about it. But what she does know is that she really likes church. And that's a great start. You know, everybody has the ability to be friendly. You know, some of you, uh, you're not called to work with children, but you're called to work with adults. You know, maybe you can lead an adult small group and you can create a safe place for those parents to come together, for those parents to grow in their faith. Maybe you can host or you can lead one of those. Or you can be involved in a variety of ways throughout our church. Whatever it is, as a church, if we want to make an impact in the world, if we want to affect the next generation, we have to find our place in that. Let me say that again. If we want to change the world, we need to change the world by affecting the next generation. The next generation is going to be the current generation before we know it and whether we like it or not. And so if we want to change the world, we need to influence that generation. And if we want to influence that generation, the best way to do it is through their parents. And so we as a church, as individuals, have to find our place in that. How can we influence parents to impact the life of a child, to change the world for Christ? There's a variety of different ways, but I feel that inaction is not an option. If we're Christians, if we love the lost, if we love the world, we have to care about the next generation. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much that, that I get to be a part of this congregation. God, I thank you for the, the men and women that, that serve here, that love you, that, that reach out to this community and the work that they do uh, just on a continual basis. God, I thank you for the privilege that it is to come alongside them and to work with them. And God, I pray for, for the ones today that, that haven't yet found their place in service, that haven't found their place in you. God, I pray that you would draw them into that. God, I pray that you would turn their hearts to your work. And God, I just pray that you would use this church to impact this community, and to change the world for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Have a great Sunday.